Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is episode number 169 of the show, and today we are joined by Professor Alison James. Now, why I wanted to have Alison on the show is because um, her resume is going to be super impressive in a minute when I go through it, but the number one thing I love about today's chat is that Alison is a Lego Serious Play instructor where she travels around the world showing people the power of Lego. Now, this is in corporates, as with kids, as with adults, with everybody, that she runs these engaging work workshops and it is all around using Lego. Now, why I love that is because it reminds us of our childhood. Think about growing up, and I know in my family that uh, my sisters and myself, we would use Lego all the time and it was amazing. Now, as well as that, Alison is a professor of learning and teaching at University of Winchester. She's a director of academia and quality and development as well. And not only that, she's released two awesome books. She's a TEDx speaker and so much more. Her passion for using play, imagination, engagement um, is just something that everybody will be able to resonate with today and the energy that she brings it was really wearing me down and that is saying something i think i'm an energetic person and allison brings it with a punch today so guys sit back this is action-packed allison james you're going to love it guys welcome back to the podcast i'm so excited i've got allison james here now Alison, i've been wanting to have you on for a while after being uh, richard cheetah has spoken about you so highly and we've done a little bit of work together so i'm extremely excited for today how are you I'm I'm really good, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Great to talk to uh, my friends in Oz. I've never got out there yet, but I think I need to, so uh, this is uh, this is a good way of saying hello. It is, and, and, and I know you do a lot of travel, and we're just talking about that there, and one thing I am fascinated with, and I can imagine everybody listening around the world would be like, Lego, you're a serious play Lego, because it just superstar now let's talk about that because everybody knows lego i, I want to know what do you do in one of your serious play lego workshops because that just fascinates me i'd love to come to one yeah you you would love to come to one and they are absolutely magic first of all i think i i need to pay homage to the people who created lego serious play first of all johan roos and bart victor um you know they came up with this idea for a methodology that they developed and tested you know over 20 years ago now and it's it's been incredibly impactful on the corporate sector i think where i have got very excited in the last 10 years of my work and and i know other colleagues in higher education have felt similarly is taking this methodology which is basically using lego bricks to have a kind of creative and deep conversation around complex issues that really matter to you um and that sounds highly therapeutic but i, I, I don't mean <laughs> i mean that very much in the sense of you know here's this big deep issue that really matters to me whether it is how you design your curriculum what you want to get out of something uh is there something going on in your team is there a project that you need to devise do you need to get lots of opinions around the table do you need to have some form of strategic executive thinking you know whatever it is that isn't straightforward but could really benefit from um some serious exploration then that's what you do in a lego 
serious play workshop. Typically, if you follow a very pure kind of version of the methodology, there are various applications. So you would start in a group, um, uh, preferably just enough of you so that everybody can uh, get their ideas expressed. Everybody's valued in the same way. One of the kind of uh, mantras of the method, if you like, is everybody builds, everybody shares and everybody speaks. So it was devised very much, uh, you know, and I'm citing my training manual here off the top of my head, but it was <laughs> It was kind of created very much to solve what the uh, inventors saw as the problem of the lonely guy. Uh, no, no, no gender politics there. You know, the lonely person. Uh, they used the term guy, but it was really, you know, we are all in those situations. Whether we're with a bunch of students, whether we're in a meeting, whether we're in, you know, wherever we are with a group of people, and there will be the dominant loud ones who often end up steering the conversation, and then there'll be the quieter ones who either feel they don't have the right to speak, or they can't be bothered to speak, or they just don't think anybody's going to listen or it's just not their vibe and you miss out on that really valuable extra voice in the room and so the lego series play method is about taking the bricks and using them to kind of express in a, in a metaphorical or abstract or symbolic way how you feel about something so rather than doing what we archetypally do, which is sit around a table, gather flip chart and pen and say, right, what do we think about X and write it all up on the board? Uh, it's about saying, what do we feel and think about X? Let's build it. Let's build it in the model. Let's talk through the model, uh, get everything that you want to say into your model and then share it with the people around your table to say, these are my thoughts on this. And the, the beauty of it is, is by using a very different medium, you naturally visually express what you think and feel in an extremely different way. You say things that you don't anticipate saying. Um, it's very, um, it's, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what the right word is, but it's a very kind of collegial way of discussing because you don't, if you build a model, nobody has the right to tell you what you meant when they look at your model, but they can ask you questions about it. They can, they can sort of explore it with you. And and you find it just the, the models are a brilliant way of starting to get issues and thoughts on the table and then exploring them in a way that's very much about the issue and the model, not about the individual. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people can feel a bit wary, especially, you know, uh, I, I don't I've never I've, I'm 150 now, but I've never quite really accepted myself as a grown up. Um, <laughs> larger than a child and I'm older than a child but there you go but quite often we have these hang-ups and we say oh well you know is that right for me um you know at this stage in my life in my career shouldn't I be exploring ideas in a, in a more sort of a traditional uh, accepted way but the brilliant thing about taking methodologies like lego serious play is that it just it just wakes up your thinking and fires up your brain in an entirely different way and I think Lego series play is, is a very good methodology for doing that. And in my wider work, any form of playful or creative or alternative way of engaging also does that because it takes people into a different realm. We have to think about also how do we like to express ourselves? And I read something on Twitter yesterday um, that Eric Stoller said, and he said, let's get rid of the notion that, that I'm paraphrasing here, of the notion that there is such a thing as a traditional learner. Is that every learner is different and distinctive. And that's absolutely true. And so don't just use paper and pen as a means of getting people to express their knowledge, ideas, skills and capacities. Get them using all kinds of stuff. And I think that's 
that's something you and I have in common, Dale, because from what I've seen in your work and in your fields, that's exactly what you do. You know, you, you are about play and movement and alternative ways of getting into somebody's brain, getting into somebody's body um, in, in, in a highly appropriate way. And that is <laughs> that's that that's really, you know, it's we talk about embodied learning, which sounds like such a sort of you know posh and poncy way of, of of talking about learning experiences but that's exactly what experiential learning is all about it's about engaging all of us yeah. you know not just our intellect yeah does that make sense it, it really does and i'm just sitting here thinking that um where the, the stuff i run obviously is play-based but it's more movement and what i find when people are moving it allows them to sort of show a little bit of vulnerability in a different sort of way. It breaks down barriers. And I'm, I'm assuming that's exactly what happens with Lego, that um, because they've built something, they've got something to talk about. It's a cue. And it allows them to sort of really open up. And I'm guessing that that's where the magic happens because they're creative. It allows them to use probably parts of their brain and their body they haven't used in a long time, Alison. But then it also, they've got something to talk about and it starts that conversation. So is it really good for breaking down those barriers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it breaks down those barriers in ways that you can't necessarily legislate for and you and you you wouldn't necessarily plan for. So, you know, uh, I and and others are very careful. We wouldn't ever build a Lego serious play workshop and say, you know, you you will become better team members and more bonded if you do this, because that's always dangerous territory. <laughs> but actually but actually you do you do connect with people in a different way you you see a different side of them you hear them voice things differently you connect with them quite often you find uh, and again I stress this is not in a therapeutic way but quite often you find that you get into the heart of an issue quicker especially if people are disposed to engage if people are open-minded about it you know that is obviously a real bonus but you find you, you you people anybody who's wary thinking oh we're just messing about with toys realize very quickly that the lego bricks are a very useful medium but you get past the bricks because what you really get caught up in is is the, the issue that you're exploring, you know, the ideas that you're starting to unleash, the sort of the, the shift in perspective that you're having. And so actually the, bri the bricks become incidental. I've, I've brought the bricks without doing Lego serious play. I've brought the bricks into meetings in my day job. You know, if we've got an issue and I'm trying to explain why we need to develop, you know, a new process versus, versus an old process, it won't be Lego serious play as such, but it will be me saying, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. Here's a few bricks. This is what it looks like currently. These are some of the issues. And I've sat in meetings where, you know, first of all, when I get the bricks out on the table, you know, a couple of people will look at me as if to say, she is absolutely barking. <laughs> and then, you know, and then within about five or 10 minutes, we're having that conversation and we're all moving the bricks around the table, but we've forgotten. We've forgotten that we're moving the bricks around the table. And I just wanted to come back to what you said about movement, because I think that you know to me that is so important now, I'm a bit of a fidget I, I I like to move um I can't stay sitting down for too long and and I and you know it's like I if I want to have a really really great conversation with somebody it's quite often you put your coat on and you just you just beast it you just walk because that's that's just 
that's my happy place. But I think the thing about something like Lego Series Play, for example, is yes, it is you are moving because you're you're building stuff and you're probably uh, moving around the table a bit and all this sort of stuff. But you also, it's about getting perspectives. So it is about crouching down. It's about looking up. Some people also get very invested in the space. So they take the bricks off the table. They build on the floor. They hang, hang things from light fittings, assuming that, you know, it's not going to burn that place down or anything too dangerous but so they kind of really really maximize the use of space so it's a lovely way of moving people now if I can just kind of riff off and talk about something uh, related but unrelated it's still on this notion of movement so one of the things that we've done in the last three years at, the, at, at my university is we've run a play and creativity festival and the notion has been really to create an alternative play space where people can come in and experience different kinds of play experiences. You know, they can be quiet, they can be solitary, they can be collaborative, they can be organized, they can be completely free. Uh, but they, we've set up this magic sort of play space that they can go into, bring their students into, whatever. And from that, we've also had colleagues uh, either bring their classes in just to totally experience a different kind of environment. And already, if you've got a kind of big sort of circus-like marquee which has got bean bags and rugs and soft chairs and all the rest of it people occupy the space and use the space in totally different ways and they engage with the subject in totally different ways we've also this last year my colleague professor paul Soudon, who's a professor of psychology he's fascinated by the relationship between creativity and walking so he actually set up a research project based in the play tent and took people out with his uh, research assistants on on walks so that they could start engaging with certain kinds of activities and responding to them and thinking about how perhaps that action of moving and walking uh, prompts you to be more creative, say, than if you were in a static environment. So... So all sorts of all sorts of kinds of links there, I think, between play and creativity and movement and stuff. Yeah, and I absolutely love it. And I remember last year, Rich sent me through a video of um, your play festival, and I'm like, wow, that is so cool. And just to go back to what you were saying before about in a meeting, you get out the Lego and people roll their eyes. And now I get this all the time. This is a question I want to know personally, but... Um, People say, how do you start with a game? How do you do this? Because people don't want one. And I know every session I run, there'll be someone that'll roll their eyes and go, oh, what's this guy doing? What's this guy jumping around? He's been silly. What is your best advice for somebody that is scared about introducing Lego, about introducing some play, about maybe removing the desk from their office or from their schoolroom or anything like that and doing something different because people don't like change and they will always judge. What? How do you go about that, Alison, just to smash it out of the room? Yeah, I think there are lots of different answers to that question. And I think I approach it, I approach, I think, and it's all down to good facilitation, which sounds like such a glib thing to say. But I think if you are a coach or a facilitator or a something, you you have what you know and what you can do, but you also have that kind of visceral instinct about how is this going? Who am I dealing with? I may not know these people, but... Um, what's the vibe in the room? What do I think they can cope with? What are they ready for? And and so you kind of, there's a little bit of kind of, little bit of, I think, gut instinct and feeling your way. Sometimes you are prepped beforehand and people will say, 
you know, these people are very, very nervous or you you will you will have these people are very cynical. You know, they will want to know about the theory of play and blah, blah, blah. So with some people, it might be that they need me to say a little or explore with them, you know, the theory of play, the neuroscience of play. You know, sometimes it's reassuring for people to know that actually play uh, as has been found by people like Stuart Brown and uh, Marianne Diamond, who worked on Einstein's brain and did all sorts of uh, work in the field of neuroscience, looking at the relationship between um, play and brain enrichment. And, you know, they will say play is one of the ways that you actually fire up the synaptic connections in the brain, that you forge new neural pathways, that we as humans aren't static. We don't remain fully formed when we, once we've done our growth and development. We can actually continue growing and learning. Um, so there's, there's already a neuroscientific basis for play. Uh, there is also, I think, the, um, if you want, the, you can call it the economic, the corporate, the business, the future-proofing argument around play, which is we cannot stay as we are. The future is uncertain. We haven't got on the answers. We don't know what we're dealing with half the time. So if we use the tactics and, and techniques that we always have done, then we're not going to move. We're not going to progress. I think everybody also, going back to the kind of gut instinct thing, which I appreciate isn't always a helpful thing to go back on, but I think we all do have it and teachers do have it. You know, you you know as a teacher you can't just have your game plan and not veer from it. You have to have your game plan, but then you kind of move in a very aware way with it, with your students, just to work out how you can get the best out of a situation. So it is a very sensitive kind of activity. I think the thing about the play stuff is if people think they're just being silly that might be fine if actually you are training to be a clown or or you know whatever it is um but but i think it's play is so multidimensional it's about enabling to people to realize what the benefit of it is now it, the benefit may simply be i'm giving you free space just to, to kind of you know loosen loosen up your head and your body before we start doing whatever it is or it might be we're going to do this and actually in a little while we're going to have a chat and ask you about what you experienced and felt when you were doing this. And I think the other thing is that um, you there will always be play that some people will really love and play that some people will really hate. Um, you know, so you just I'm rambling a wee bit, but I think I think it's. It's there are many, many ways of expressing it. But it's interesting also because I do a lot of talks uh, at universities in the UK and elsewhere. And sometimes people will say to me, but my job's to educate my students, Alison. It's not to entertain them. And that to me is just the, the classic what sort of statement, because, you know, why can't you do both? You know, people will say, oh, but for, for learning to be, you know, if, you know, for learning to be truly valuable in a university or at an advanced level or with adults, because they're sophisticated, you know, uh, it needs to be challenging and difficult and serious because that's the way you stretch them. And and yes, that is true. But that's not the only way of validating learning. Um, so actually, to me, if I'm absorbed, if I'm uh, intrigued, if I'm a little bit entertained, if I've had a laugh, you know, that 
that those are all motivating factors that help me get to grips with a difficult or a challenging issue. And I, I think sometimes there's a little bit of willful misunderstanding about playful approaches that, that you know, people don't allow that that can be that that can be uh, the place. And actually, let's, that, that's the other thing about learning is, OK, you do a playful activity. It's a total car crash. Nobody wants to engage. It's awkward. It doesn't work. Unpack it. Unpack it afterwards. You know, draw, draw it to a conclusion when you realize it's all going terribly wrong and just say, let's talk about how that was. You know, how does that feel compared to what you were learning? What were your expectations? What was different? What worked? What didn't? You know, maximize it. Use it as a learning experience. Um, and I always find that I've never had one where I've done something and absolutely everybody goes, I really, really wish you hadn't done that. Sometimes you'll find that people say lots of interesting things about how much they either loved it or didn't love it. Um, but by and large, I think you will have thought sufficiently about why are we going to play? Um, you know, is there a purpose to it? Is there not a purpose to it? And if there isn't a purpose to it, why do I feel it's important for there not to be that purpose? You will have had all of that sort of those thoughts in your head. Sometimes you might want to set the ground a little bit before you do something. And sometimes you might just say to your group, we're going to do something now. Uh, I just want you to trust me here. just want you to trust me. Go with it. Um, and, and let's see. And, you know, there's the, both, both of those are valid approaches. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think one thing I was just, as you were saying all that, the, the people that are normally the ones that have an issue or they don't believe in using your imagination and getting creative and the benefits it can have, I often feel that they're scared by the whole notion of play because it's not structured and that they don't like, they're like robots. They need everything to be clear. They need to do a 50 minute lesson and have a recess and it, like everything needs to be structured. So do you feel that the people that normally are resentful or probably not putting their full heart into it are scared of what could happen? I think, yeah, I think scared. I think scared, uh, they're probably all sorts of things. If they are scared, I would say they are scared of a number of things. They might be scared of looking stupid, scared of uh, losing face in front of their students or their colleagues. I think in higher education in the UK, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I would say for us also, there are deep, deep, deep worries around student value for money. You know, students are paying a lot of money for their education. If I play with my students, is that a waste of their time? Is that a waste of their money? Will people think I'm taking the mickey and they're not getting, uh, they're not getting what they have paid for, this horrible kind of commercial transactional language that has crept into higher education in the UK? my personal view um <laughs> well, I think there is there is a bit of that it's really interesting because i and a colleague we co-wrote our learning and teaching strategy for our university and we have three domains in that strategy they are imagination uh, expanding horizons and wider world and we chose those as three themes that really came out of our conversations with our colleagues when we said you know we need a strategy and a vision for learning and teaching going forward that isn't just about 
metrics and measurement. It's about the passion that we have for teaching our subjects, for learning in our subjects, whatever they are, and how we want to protect that love of learning, even though this kind of neoliberal agenda has come into universities. And what I found really interesting is the way that people respond to having that word imagination in a university strategy. And some people say, I love it. It's refreshing. Um, I can totally relate to this. Um, I, I, I took it to our colleagues in the library shortly after the, the, the strategy was approved. And I just said, you know, what do you think of, of imagination? You, you work in a library, you know, you do, you do um, information and resources. And it took the, 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 the senior librarian I was talking to about 30 seconds. She looked at all the objectives and said, we do all of that. That's, you know, and and so it's about overcoming those kind of preconceptions where people go, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't belong to me. And we had um, we had a massive uh, learning and teaching day uh, around that theme. What was really interesting was we in, invited a lot of external speakers who were intrigued. They said, we're actually coming because you've you've dared put the word imagination in your learning and teaching strategy now now before it sounds like i've had some kind of amazing epiphany inevitably also have the people who get in touch and say i'm a scientist um but I, I don't quite see how imagination relates to me or i'm you know i'm a i'm a this or i'm a that and and actually what you find is at the heart of the problem is it's not that imagination isn't relevant it's entirely relevant but what they haven't done and what perhaps you need to help them do is have that conversation where you unpack the relevance of imagination because they've understood that word a bit like the word play they've understood it in a very narrow way so some people will understand play play is messing about it's for kids it's what you do when when work is over um you know it's about letting off steam it has no real value or purpose other than just to make me you know feel good and have a bit of a laugh and to me you know that's perhaps what i thought play was five or six years ago and, and then with with all the work that i've done since I realise that actually it's infinitely more complex. Exactly the same when we ask people to be imaginative. People think, oh, is that about being airy-fairy? Is it about being in a fantasy land? Is it about being all rainbows and unicorns? And you just think, no. You know, the word, if you want, if you want to strip it down to basics, imagination is imagining. It's having pictures about the way something could be in your mind um, and then you can unpack it in all sorts of ways so actually and I wrote a little piece um, to, for, for colleagues to try and explain that you know if you think about it a theatre surgeon is going to be imagining he's going to be imagining how he can interpret all the signs and signals he's obviously drawing on a wealth of medical knowledge expertise blah 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 but but there there is something he's he's bringing that additional interpretation if you've got uh ward staff and they uh, know that there are uh, people who are either going to have um uh, sensitive needs or they're going to receive bad news or they've got to be prepared because they're scared about something that's coming we all draw on our imagination and our reserves to think how will I navigate this how will I do this how will I complete this how will I achieve this to the best of my ability whether we realize we're imagining or not um, and and you know yes of course it comes into all, all sorts of other domains as well if you are a vet um, and you're 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 dealing with um, the human side of the relationships as well as the medical support for the animals. Whatever you're doing, we all draw on imagination, even if we don't 
call it what I would say, you know, capital I imagination, which sounds like the very kind of arty farty stuff. Or to me, it's little I imagination. It's just extending your mind to conceive of the things that you're dealing with in a slightly different way. And I think that's that's where imagination is key. I hate to say it because I don't want to mention UK politics at the moment because they're a total disaster. But, you know, actually, what whatever your political affiliate, affiliation, in the face of not knowing uncertainty, people are trying to imagine what the best way forward is, what the decisions are, how they can make sense of something, how they can convince people of the, you know, indefensible, etc., etc. So, you know, I think it's really, really important to be able to, ha- to ha- unpack people's conceptions of what that word is, you know, or whatever it is, whether it's imagination, whether it's play, whether it's creativity. And one of my big beefs, if I can, if I can whinge about this just momentarily, is, you know, we talk about play and it's we can we we view the word play in a way that we don't view other keywords that we use a lot when we talk about learning so we love the word creativity we love the word innovation uh, in in universities these days because we want to prepare graduates for life outside we talk about being entrepreneurial and you know being resourceful and all these sorts of things and that all sounds fab and everybody loves those words and um, I did a TEDx talk just the other week in Bolton and I I said to people raise your hand if you've ever had the word play in a job description and you know practically nobody put their hands up I said raise the word you know raise your hand if you've ever been asked when you've been doing work-based qualification training uh, you know advanced degree whatever it is have you been required to have you know to, to, to play or be playful as part of that again people don't raise your hands if you were to ask them the same question which is have you applied for a job where you're asked to be creative or innovative yes that language is so common you know we whack it into all those kinds of job descriptions into our courses and when it comes to play for some reason we lose our nerve and I think that's fascinating why does that happen and if I may sorry I'm going a bit all over the place here but you know I I and this is no reflection on primary or secondary education but I look back at my own experience and the more I look into this I find other people say exactly the same things in fact you've had you know big educational gurus like Sir Ken Robinson uh his one of his most well-known um podcasts that got millions of viewers on YouTube was around how schools are killing creativity in the young and I would say that absolutely applies to play as a kid I I played I imagined I had you know my fantasy games I I played with Lego and of course I always use that as an excuse you know my mother when I went to school you know secondary school told the neighbours she was a bit worried because I was still really keen on Lego I thought oh god love her what would she think now because here I am (laughs) here I am uh, after a career in higher education and I'm still playing in Lego I don't know whether she'd be despairing or delighted but there you go Aggression. Um, but I remember going to secondary school and loving drawing, loving painting, loving all of those things. And at some point in your secondary education, either subliminally or explicitly, you're told that those things are no longer proper subjects. You do those if you can't do the proper stuff. If you can't do the science, if you can't do the maths, if you can't do this, that, and the other. It's why dreadful decisions have been made in our school education in the UK. Again, my personal view that it has been basically about relegating creative subjects, art subjects, musical subjects, theatre subjects 
to a kind of secondary level. And that to me is insane because they are at the heart of your culture. They are at the heart of how we communicate as humans. And so somehow along the line, despite the best efforts of all those people who do incredible stuff in those subject areas, it gets squashed out of us. It gets relegated to, you know, all of those things become relegated to the the sort of the ranks of the things that are not quite proper Mm. when you reach a certain age. And that's really depressing. So that's why I think it's so important for people like you, like Richard Cheatham, like anybody who is bringing play, creativity into whatever the work is that they're doing, either with with children, young adults, older adults, may I say, to me, that is just, it's just essential because that's about bringing the whole person to life. And that's what we need in meaningful learning experiences. So, so true. And my, my soapbox. <laughs> but no, like I really enjoyed listening to Alison. I'm like, I'm just sitting here going and everything you just mentioned is, it doesn't matter if you're in primary school, secondary school, you're working, you've got a family, whatever. If you can use your imagination, if you're creative, if you know how to hold a conversation and, and really good of human connection, you're resilient. The one word that just kept popping in my head is resilience. And when you are resilient, you can handle all different situations. You're creative. You use your imagination. You can communicate with all different people. And how do you learn those skills? Through play. It, it, yeah. that, is, that is just what I'm thinking. And Dale, I, I want to link, you, you've used two words there a few minutes ago, you know, when you, you were saying, you know, are people scared? And then and then now you were talking about resilience. And I was thinking, absolutely, there's a link between the two, because people are scared of doing the wrong thing, of getting it wrong. And, you know, our students, again, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but our students are worried about failure. You know, we tell them that they, we, we want them to experiment and do things differently, but but they kind of believe us. But actually, sometimes they're not sure if they really do have the right to do that, because what what if it goes horribly wrong? Will they then be punished? Will they fail? Will will they not pass their tests? Will they be seen in a certain way? And actually, part of resilience is having the comfort in yourself to try something and go, yeah, that really didn't work, you know, and and that's OK. That didn't work. That's okay. So let's try something else. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we're all on a learning journey wherever we are. And that's been part of my learning journey uh, over over the years is to realize that actually if you try those new things, if you move away from norms, you know, we're all to a certain extent there are, you know, there are norms and their expectations, the done thing, what you, how you're supposed to teach, what you're supposed to do in certain subject areas. And actually when you, when you start saying to yourself, yeah, those are the ways that we typically do it. And what happens if I do it this way? And you give, it's, again, it's, it sounds so, so cheesy to say, give yourself permission. It's one of those phrases that is increasingly <laughs> being used. And it sounds a bit fluffy. Not that I have anything about fluffy, but, you know, it, it, just to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. The thing I also find is actually the great thing about learning experiences, and I think this is absolutely true with absolutely no experience of, of sports coaching, although I do do professional coaching, is you know, the key thing in that relationship is trust. And if your students trust you, if your coaches trust you, um, they know that 
you might be trying something new, but you are trying that something new because you're prepared to try it. You believe it has value and you just want to see with them if it works. And actually, I don't think I can, I, I don't think I've ever had a time when I've said to students or whoever, let's give this a go. I can't think of a time when anybody said no. Nobody's ever said uh, no, I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. I mean, you once in a blue moon, you will find people who are really, really uncomfortable. But it really is a blue moon. And I think, you know, people all find their, we all find our level. and We all find the things that we're prepared to do and that we're not prepared to do. Um, I'm starting to ramble now. But, <laughs> no, you're not. I, I was just really trying to kind of connect those two words you used about, you know, being scared and resilience. And I think there's an absolute relationship between the two. And it all comes down to trust yeah. and a little bit of I think the comfort zone is an interesting thing because um, uh, uh, I, I saw one of those, um, you know, meme things the other day. And I thought, well, yes, that's quite interesting. And it and it, it, it was two circles and a smaller circle said your comfort zone. And then next to it, there was a huge circle which said, where the magic happens. <laughs> and I, I really liked that. It was a very simple cartoon. I'm sure if you Google it, you can find it. Don't know who, who came up with it. But I thought they, that's so true. It's just those, just edging yourself out. But everybody will have their proportion of how much they can cope with. You know, uh, I, I know that I need a certain amount of me and how I work in my comfort zone. And then, then there's that other proportion where I just put myself completely out of it. But if I was 90% out of my comfort zone all of the time and only 10% in it, I don't think that would suit me. Some mm. people would think on that. You think of people who do extreme sports or who love, you know, the love, the thrill of the crazy roller coaster or, you know, mountaineering in flip flops or whatever it is. You know, I'm just not that mad. But um, well, so I think it again. Yeah, I, th I think it comes down to exactly what you said that that fear of failure, but the trust builds courage. And if you're in a if you're in a trusting relationship or partnership or your leaders are trustworthy of you, that gives you the courage to try that. And it's like anything; it's repetition. The more you do something, fail, whatever, you start believing in yourself, and that is the beauty of play. And I, I know particularly. Uh, starting a business and doing all these different things that people said, you're crazy to leave your job. You're silly to do this. You shouldn't be doing that. You, you do all this yeah. wrong. But now I don't listen to that. And they're the ones saying, well done. And as it comes back to exactly what you're just saying, that you need to yeah. trust yourself. But that is so hard because fear of failure, we're judged. And social media, we get every everything is scrutinized these days, Alison. It, do you find that, that with probably because our, everyone knows everyone's business, we publicize everything, we share it with the world, that people do know if you fail and they're very quick to jump on that? That's a really, that's a really interesting question. I mean, you, you <laughs> social media, golly, that, that that's a subject almost for another podcast. Isn't it, <laughs> yes, I know, sorry. Um, um, no, no, no. That's that's absolutely fine. I mean, I'm I'm I, I use social media. I'm not terribly good at it, really, because I you know I use Twitter a bit, and then I find that I get really interested in certain tweets, and then I can't find them again because I haven't worked <laughs> out really how to follow conversations. So I'm a bit rubbish at that. I think one of the, and it, this is not a new point at all. I think one of the sad things about social media is there seems to seems to be a kind of person out there who, irrespective of 
any knowledge of what has happened, who the people are. They they have they are completely fearless themselves about jumping in and having an opinion. Hmm. And you think, do you actually know the first thing about what you're talking about? You are just responding in some kind of weird, knee-jerk, primal way to something that you, you, a passing headline you saw or an image you saw. You have no idea what is going on. So I think, I think, unfortunately, the downside of social media has lots and lots of good sides. I think the downside is it seems to have opened up a chink that allows people who don't think to say some very savage things which can can have a terribly negative effect on people who are genuinely putting themselves out there they don't realize that they're exposing themselves they're just sharing with the world and saying I've tried this I look like that I've played with x i whatever and they're just completely unprepared for some of the really nasty behavior that comes through mm. um so I think I think yes I I think perhaps that is a, a worrying thing. Um, I don't know, Dale. I mean, I think, I think the from where I am, I think, think where you definitely are onto something is. I think in the university sector, which is largely what I've known. But I think we've 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 been through a phase where we've been very brave and very open and very willing to resource. Um, innovative, creative, playful, different kinds of approaches. Um, and But I think what happens is when you get to a period of uncertainty, when money is involved, when resources start getting constrained, when people are overstretched, sometimes I think what happens is people lose their nerve. And that might be leaders of universities, that might be teachers within universities, but people start really being scared of not being perceived to do the right thing. It comes back to what we were saying about doing the right thing. So I think that can that can be a really paralyzing thing. And that's why I think I'm so excited about the fact that despite all of that, there seems to be a real, real upsurge in uh, playful learning approaches. They're starting to come to the fore so much more. So uh, with my colleague, Christina Rancy and I, we, we brought out this collection of uh, stories around how play is being used in universities in America, UK, U USA, elsewhere. And I think it's about surfacing those stories because people are clearly playing to learn. They're playing to learn in complex ways. But I think some of us or some of them um, are sort of keeping their light hidden, if you like, because they're thinking, if this comes out, I won't be taken seriously as a scholar. Or if this comes out, somebody will stop me. Or if this comes out, somebody will tell me that's a really bad way of teaching. So it's interesting how there's a kind of caution or a lack of confidence in some spheres. Um, I've, in, in the UK, um, we've just launched this Playful Learning um, Association um, I attended in Denmark a conference uh, all about the playful university. Um, Scandinavia has been very kind of much to the fore around play because they've had the Counterplay Festival for the last six or seven years, which is this massive um, uh, kind of 
I'm going to describe it as a cultural phenomenon, really, where people from all walks of life get involved in play-based activities. There's a huge upsurge in gamification, so, and that seems to be a very accepted uh, form of play, if you like. People like play with a purpose. So if you go to play theoreticians, they say play should be free, play should be purposeless, play should be chosen by the people who do it, to do it for as long as they want, in the way they want, and when they're done, they finish. We kind of... Uh, modify that a wee, wee bit, I think, when we, we move into the spheres of gamification, because gamification is about, and this is not a criticism of it, but it's about it's about creating games, it's about having rules for games, it's about having winners and losers, it's about having outcomes, it's about what you want to achieve, you know, is it to... Uh, uh, to get, if I think of, you know, Monopoly, is it to basically, you know, get as much money and as many properties and, and beat the hell out of your opponents? Um, in our book, uh, colleagues um, had created a game, Louise, um, Louise Robinson and Ian Turner created a game called Park Life, but that was all about uh, enabling students to grasp the concepts of wildlife conservation. Other colleagues, uh, Bernadette Henderson and her colleagues, created a game called Wardopoly, which is all about teaching uh, the principles of hospital management. So, you know, I think we are very comfortable in certain spheres with certain kinds of play. So gamification, structured play, if it's not a contradiction in terms, that's something that we can accept. Where we seem to be less brave, coming back to some of the things that you and I have mentioned already, it's around players' experimentation, players' failure, players' free space. You know, one of the things that people said to us when we set up our play tent and created this kind of play space is, why can't we have something like this on campus all of the time? And of course, the reason why you can't have it on campus all of the time is number one, you never have enough rooms on campus. Uh, number two, there's a resource implication. And number three, Everybody loves it, but there is this worry about wasting time. You know, if you go into a play space, are you wasting time? Or did anybody ever say to Einstein or Newton or any of the really, you know, the people who have had big kind of cultural or scientific revel revelations about our world, you know, were they were they doing very structured activities? Were they gazing out the window? You know, were they caught up in a moment of something else? You talk to people doing doctoral research and a lot of that doctoral research, people say, you know, it's actually born of failure of getting things wrong. And it's actually you're so, so, so magnificently getting something wrong that actually the thing that really turns out to be the learning that is valued most is you discover something else entirely along the way. So we've got to really, to me, we've got to build up our courage. We've got to get so much braver, whether we are companies, whether we are uh, sports associations, whether we are universities, whether we are schools, whatever we are, just saying this has a value. This has a value to our life as human beings, to how we function in the world, to the relationships that we have, to the ideas that we can have, to the ways that we can mend our world. This is not the, the alternative to... Um, to, you know, to doing the right stuff, the proper stuff. You know, one of the most depressing things I ever heard was somebody saying to me, I really want to come to one of your play sessions, but if I've, if I've been told that if I do, I have to make up the time I spend with you in my own time. 
And that to me has heartbreak written all over it. That is just like, how can you possibly create a playful community, incentivize somebody to learn and engage in a different way by saying, yeah, you can do that, but there's a price tag. You know, miserable, miserable. Mm, we could. Got to... oh, sorry, we could... I'm going. No, 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 no. I was just, I was just seeing with that one, and and we could talk about that one all day because I get similar things when people say, "Why would they want to just come and play games or, or move your body? You could do that any other time, you know." And I, I think that's people are just a little bit narrow-minded. But what will come around, Alison, and I'm so sure of this, um, with all the work you're doing and everybody else, that the benefits of play are where we get that socialization, where we get connection, where we yeah. problem solve, all these different things that you know are key. What people want in employment today it is all through play and so it will start coming back around and those people that are saying make that time up in your own time will be then the ones going okay i'm very sorry maybe i need to get some more play in my life and uh, we could talk about that all day and I, I am aware of the time i've just got a couple of questions that i always like to finish off with allison and one of them is if you could look back to 18 year old allison and it wasn't that long ago um and from all your all your <laughs> <laughs> all your research, your books, your talks, your TED talk, everything you've done, your research, if you could give 18-year-old Alison one bit of advice, what would that be? Oh, God. I, I would say don't be afraid. You will find your way. You know, 18, God, Dale. I was, <laughs> you know, I, I feel I was barely... I was barely formed as a human sentient being, you know. And of course, at 18, at 18 you think you know it all. You just, you know, you just, you just all that. Um, I think I had no, no idea what my path would be, what my way would be. If somebody said to, you know, if somebody had given me a little kind of crystal ball and said, "This is going to be you in, you know, 150 years' time," <laughs> I, I would have, kind of gone, "Oh well, I won't worry then." Um, but I think, you know, when you're 18, you've got so many wonderful, wonderful things. You know, it's that you're, you're, it's, you're at the start of your adult life. You've got the world ahead of you. You know, you, you, you're young, you're new, you haven't got wrinkles and it's kind of, you know, there's all this, there's this whole world of possibility in front of you, but actually that's also flipping terrifying. And I think one of the things that again, play is so important for us. We see it all the time is we are in a world where our 18 year olds have got mental health issues. They're suffering from depression. They're stressed. They're pressurized. They are anxious. And maybe, you know, those of us who are as old as I am now had those anxieties, but it just seems that they are so much more widespread, so much more palpable now. And so I think I, you know, I would want to give some of what I know now to 18-year-old Alison and just say, this is your fast track. I would also say to her, by the way, do get into teaching now. Don't wait. Te don't wait 12 years, because <laughs> I, spent, I spent 12 years thinking the last thing I want to do on God's earth is teach. So I did all sorts of other jobs after my degree. And every time I started another job, I thought, mm, that's not it either. And in the end, my friend Brenda dragged me kicking and screaming into teaching and just said, for goodness sake, get over yourself. Go and teach <laughs> You know, it won't kill you. And the moment I started teaching, I thought, that's it. I found my path. That's what I, that's what I, you know, what I, what I will do. And, and it's what I've done. 
Yeah, and I, and I know people are listening here just going, wow, like so many, like and I, we're going to have to have you back on again because we've we've just sort of touched the surface on a few sort of issues that I'd love to discuss a little bit further, Alison. I tell by the energy that we both have that, you know, we could have about three or four different podcasts here. Now, for people listening, you've obviously got a couple of awesome books out, The Power of Play in Higher Education, Engaging Imagination is the best place to find you in on the internet space in imagining, in, uh, sorry, in enga- engaging Im- imagination. I can't spit it out. I've got it dot com. Maybe, yeah. maybe you give that a little spiel because I've just absolutely massacred that one. Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely fine. And, and I and, and and you aren't alone. I've massacred it myself on many occasions. <laughs> Easiest way to find me is at uh, engagingimagination.com. So that is my uh, website. And um, if you see a, uh, an old lady with spectacles and a Lego car, that's me. You found the right place. <laughs> so that, that, that talks about the books, that talks about the work, the interest, interest the collaboration. And that actually, when I, when I leave my present job in two weeks' time, that's very much going to be my kind of virtual home that's going to be where I will be updating people in terms of blog posts what I'm doing how my new research is going where I'm speaking this that, and the other so there'll be lots and lots and lots of resources there that's a good place to find me uh, I'm on Twitter I can never remember my Twitter handle I think I'm Alison R James again uh, you know it's the same image so people will find me there um, so so I am I'm easily found um and i you know would love to talk to anybody who's interested in any aspect of any of the things that we've talked about and i would i would like to share with you dale um when when a few minutes ago when we were talking about um uh, sort of playful experiences i think after after our first festival 3 years ago um, somebody actually from one of the professional services department came and engaged in some sessions. So not even somebody who was teaching on a program or whatever. And um, and he said, he said, I now get it. I get what you're trying to do. And he said, I've had conversations with people today I never talk to about things I never talk about. And I just thought that in a nutshell, that says it all. That is why I believe in the power of play for teaching, for learning, for connection, for communication, for all those sorts of things. And and I think you're right, Dale. I think this has just been such a fantastic conversation and I'm absolutely buzzing. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would love to talk some more about it all. It's absolutely flown. Yeah. But yeah, um, there we are. So very happy to hear from anybody who um, who wants to talk about play in any kind of dimension, really. Done. And and I think what you just said there, and that was a really nice sort of way to finish, that play does b- break down barriers and it, it gives us an avenue to talk, to work with people you wouldn't in a safe space. And I think that's, as we just mentioned, a lot of stuff around trust and, um, you know, all these other things. It does come back to what play can create. And um, it is so powerful. So if anybody is listening here that is a little bit nervous or scared about it or, you know, even how to implement it into your workplace, your family life, your school, your sports club, wherever you are, please hit Alison up and get on that. And on the show notes, guys, I'll have links for how you can contact her, everything about it. And uh, yeah, Alison, we've got to do this again because that was brilliant. Thank you so much for today. Oh, I've, I've loved it, Dale. And if I can just add a, a, a PS, which is, you know, your your show is just a wonderful way of reaching out to people around the world. And that's really what I want to do. I want to talk to people around the world about where they are playing and how they are playing. So I would love to hear from anyone. 
Well, there you heard Thanks. it, guys. Hit Alison up and let her know where you're playing because we're all playing. We love it. And when we when we stop playing, we start dying. I want you to forget that. Keep playing. We love it. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Alison. Thanks, Dale.